We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. If you want to turn there in the Pew Bibles. Sorry, I didn't look up the page number. If you left a bookmark in the Bible you used last week, it's probably the next verse. We're going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6 this morning and spend our time there. So would you stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning? It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenes and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, we thank you for this passage. Would you help it to lead and guide us? And would we, or would your word continue to increase here in our midst? It would mature us. And as the number of the disciples multiply greatly in Jerusalem, would you use our faithfulness and the maturity that you bring to us to multiply disciples even here as people come more and more obedient to the faith? God, we thank you. We praise you. Would you speak through me to your people? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're all familiar with the old cartoon, Wiley e. Coyote, right? Every episode, the roadrunner is running around and the Wiley e. Coyote would seek to capture him. Because what coyote wouldn't love to eat a roadrunner? You don't have roadrunners around here in Vermont, but we did have them in California. Did you know that the animators had rules for the cartoon. Roadrunner could never hurt the coyote. He could only go beep beep. Of course, that would sometimes startle him and he'd fall off a cliff. In fact, nothing could hurt the coyote except for one thing, his own ineptitude. And, I guess there's two things, and the Acme products that he would use that would oftentimes fail. His desire to capture the Roadrunner increased as the episode. When I looked it up, there's a list of hundreds of episodes. They're only like five minutes. It feels like, I was like, I think we had a longer attention span back then when those cartoons were out. But his activity and his desire to capture the Roadrunner would increase as the episode progressed and his contraptions and his schemes would get grander and grander and grander. And oftentimes it ended up in himself getting damaged in the process, as well as the roads and everything around him. 
But that's what we've seen here in the book of Acts. Let's call Satan Wiley Coyote here. Satan has been trying to thwart what God is doing in and through this earlier church. As you recall, back in chapter 4, it was persecution from outside. In chapter 5, it was hypocrisy from inside. And in our church, or in our text this morning, we have an unnecessary division happening. And this strife that is happening in this early church, it needs a solution. And the solution for this disunity is community. This community began to be unified in their decision. And we saw in that last verse in chapter 7 that God brings fruit in and through this church. So let's look at it again. Let me read again verse 1. It kind of sets the stage. Let's see what is going on here. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so as this church is growing, it changes. And change, especially in a church, can be hard. When new people come, like those from California, they dress differently, they talk differently, they prefer different things. It's not like the things we've always been doing. We used to do it this way, and they want to change it to do it that way. And this term Hellenist refers to just some Jewish widows that spoke Greek. They didn't speak Hebrew or Aramaic. They were f sounded differently. Like sometimes during old home days, some folks will come back into town and maybe they bring some extended relatives. They're like, those people sound a little different. They dress a little different. This church was trying to care for these widows, but some were being neglected in the process. They weren't caring for all of the widows. They weren't caring for the widows who were from a place other than Jerusalem. Where these Hellenist widows, they've come back to Jerusalem. They have no family in town. Their family is probably where they used to be. And it should be the church, right, that cares for them. But neglect is happening. But it doesn't appear to be purposeful. But before the church can expand outside of Jerusalem, some sanctification needs to happen within the people of God, within this church. And with rapid growth, there are administrative problems. They tend to arrive. We've, we've learned this, right? I've been doing some more counseling myself and other things naturally, because I want to care for as many of you as possible, have naturally just fallen by the wayside. It's not purposeful that my emails sometimes have spelling errors or we forget to make an announcement that's really important. Some of you I've not been able to meet with as my calendar's been full and it's not purposeful. And so I think the opportunity even before us with Eric potentially coming on and helping with some of these staffing is God's providential plan. We're in this text this morning. And oftentimes a lack of care is not purposeful. Biblically, the Jewish people were supposed to care for people, especially orphans and widows. 
to provide for their needs. And this church is known for their care for one another, right? We've seen what they've done in the book of Acts where they have laid down their stuff. They've given their things over to everybody in the church. And so I don't think this is purposeful neglect. I think it's just inadvertent. They've got too many things going on. But still, not doing what God calls them to do, the Bible calls that sin. We'd almost prefer that they were purposefully neglecting it, I think, in the story, so that Peter can come in there and be like, what are you guys doing? And smack them and say, we need to stop doing this to directly rebuke them. But there's, there's this tension, right, that we feel in the text. And as we've seen over the last few weeks in Acts, that repentance has been the theme of changing our behavior and our attitudes. And I think what the church needs to do is repent of their neglect of some of these widows. And some of the people that are like them that have come from another area, these Hellenistic people that are part of the church come and they come up to the apostles and they try to come up with a solution. They don't gossip. They don't go find another church. They don't slander the leaders. Can you believe they've done this? They don't roll their eyes, the Hellenists, again when they walk by them. They go to the leaders. Do you know someone appeasing, some people are being disregarded? My guess is the apostles probably were unaware of what was taking place. But Satan, he loves disunity, especially in the church. He's got that anvil ready to crush the people of God, or he's got that bomb on the side of the road ready to just make it explode as they go by. But this is God's church. And God has rules for his church. God is sovereign over his church. God is protecting his church. The spirit of God dwells within God's people. The scriptures guide God's people. And God used some of the people in the church to speak up, to make something known that was not right. And so church, before we move on, we can admit we're not perfect. Sometimes we have disagreements. Sometimes we have disunity. Churches will feud over preaching style or type of music, how we care for one another, where we give our benevolence money to, which missionaries or organizations we should support. But loving one another is our priority. And I need to be honest with you. Sometimes your leaders myself included, are blind. Sometimes personal preferences get in the way of biblical priorities. Sometimes we can make miscalculations. We learned that, right, with the roofing discussion, right? That's why today we're only having a discussion. We're not making a decision on the roof. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out, are we missing anything? Are we not understanding something with the things that are before us? And the apostles, they listened to the person coming up to them. They didn't see the person coming over to, oh, oh, one of the hellishness is coming. I'm going to go to the other side of the room or ignore them. They didn't respond with, well, you know, I'm the leader, right? It's a community problem of disunity. 
And unity is addressed by the community. Look again what happens. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They must be congregational because they have a family gathering. They have a family meeting and the leaders take initiative to gather the whole church together. Remember, this church is thousands of people. It's not like us. You know. Thousands of people. And they want to maintain unity. They want to move forward. They make it a community solution time to fix the problem going on in the church. Even though it was a small fraction of those thousands of people who were being neglected. They all participate in the solution. And the apostles, they acknowledge this isn't right that the Hellenistic widows are being neglected, but at the same time, it's not right for those who were called to the ministry of the word to give up the ministry of the word and prayer. And so the apostles task for the church to come up with a solution. The apostles have been tasked with the proclamation of the scripture and this care ministry is good, but it's not best for the apostles to give themselves to that. The ministry of the scriptures and prayer are the priorities for the apostles. We see that in verse 4. If you recall back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had mandated to the apostles to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. Not forsaking the ministry of the word of God in proclaiming and preaching and teaching the gospels or the gospel. Serving tables is not a lower level role than prayer and teaching, but teaching and preaching and prayer was mandated by Jesus as part of the evangelism of the church. And so it would be foolish for them to neglect what God had directly commanded them to do. But they still need to address the neglect happening in the church. I was talking to someone this week about uh, the boiler, and this person was like, Aaron, why are you dealing with all the questions and emails for the boiler? And my response was, well, I'm here at the office. The boiler guy's got to come and they got to see it. I'm the one here. I have questions. I know the church has questions. And so I'm the one doing it. And it was a valid question. But I don't need to be doing that all the time. We have deacons that can do that. Phil has done a great job with our deacons of making sure the roof. I was not involved in any of that for the most part. And the tension here in the text isn't between the service of the word and service of people. The tension is, what are the priorities? So if you heat your home this winter with wood, and there's none stacked up today, you're going to be probably a little cold. But most importantly, going deer hunting this afternoon is probably a bad idea. And if you men think that you're going to go deer hunting and you have no wood for winter, you should ask your wife if she thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> Overseeing the distribution to the Hellenistic widows would distract the apostles from their primary responsibility. 
And modern ministers today often will misuse this statement as a biblical warrant to refuse doing the menial tasks within the church. That's why I make sure I write the emails for the church, just so you know I'm still doing stuff and you get all the spelling errors and lack of grammatical observations in the process. But officers, they start to take shape in the church here. To this point, only the apostles were leading, right? It's hard to lead a church of our size. Can you imagine 12 guys leading a church of thousands? An overseer or an elder has to make sure that ministry happens while preaching the word and praying. And there are certain things an elder doesn't need to do, but he still can do it. An elder should be loving and caring. He should be willing to serve. But the highest priority for an elder is the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. And the plan is, go find seven men to help with the need. First, these men should be of good repute, with a good witness. Remember the apostles, they have been given this task to bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done of the life and ministry, his death, his resurrection. And it's a unique and unrepeatable, absolutely foundational aspect of the church's movement that the apostles need to give themselves to these things. And these new deacons also need to have a good witness of their good character. They could have chosen some women. There were prominent women that were part of this church, right? We saw that back in Acts chapter 1 of Mary and the other women who witnessed the resurrected Christ in the tomb. But they chose men with a good witness. And there's nothing against the abilities or the usefulness of women within the church. But since the very beginning of creation, God has given the task of men, two men, to lead in the home and in the people of God. And there is great responsibility and there is great accountability to this, as we also saw in our first Timothy study. But with a good reputation, these men are also full of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit's power is manifested to such a degree that the Spirit is to work in and through them. Deacons shouldn't be just the guys that we like. Deacons shouldn't be the guys that are really good at some of these tasks. They are to be spiritually Gifted men who are mature in their faith. And they have wisdom too. They not only have a godly character and spirit empowered gifts, but they follow the scripture and they're also good at some of the things they do. This idea here is kind of they have a know how and helpful skill to maybe manage some of the things that are going on in the church, some of the area where neglect is happening. But most importantly, God is not con con concerned about their qualifications. God is most concerned about their character. And the apostles, they could have just said, well, here's a few men, let's just appoint them and give the task, delegate it and go. But they asked the church, I want you to go find these men. I want you to go bring these men of this character for this task. 
there might be a day where we even ask you, maybe soon, hey, who in this church do you think should be a deacon? They might not be qualified, but who do you see that could be a good fit for serving the needs of this church, where the church participates with the leaders? Sometimes we come with a guy and say, hey, this is a guy that we think would be good for this role, and sometimes we would love to hear from you. I think this guy would be great at serving the needs of this church. And with these set priorities, it pleased the church. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose those seven men. And at the end, they set these before the apostles. They prayed. And they laid hands on them. And so the community addressed this unity problem together. And it became a community solution for the entire church. And the entire church was pleased with the outcome. I've heard it before that elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. And when this happens, the church is collectively blessed. And so this church here we see in the book of Acts, they were happy. I would love for you all to be happy with every decision that I or the elders or the deacons make but I know it's not realistic. But what this church did is they worked together. They were unified together in their decision and everybody participated. And so they appointed the seven and the whole church, not just the apostles laid hands on them. You see that in the language. If you look at the original language, it's not just the apostles laid hands on them. The entire church laid hands on them and sent them out for this special work. And the seven are chosen. And guess what? It appears that these seven men who are chosen were Hellenists themselves. That's pretty cool, huh? Collectively repenting of the neglect that they had for these widows. They choose folks that are relationally connected to those who were being neglected, who would want to clearly serve who were part of them. And God doesn't only speak through me. He doesn't only speak through the elders. He doesn't only speak through the deacons. He speaks through the entire church where God is moving through the disciples, the brothers and sisters of the whole church here in the text. And when we don't say something, it's likely not going to change. When we don't ask a question, you're probably not going to get an answer. The apostles prove their humility by listening. Remember, this church has a track record of generosity. They have a track record of unity. They have a track record of doing things together. And it was probably easy knowing who they were that when they heard these criticisms, not bad things, constructive criticism, that when they heard it, it's like, oh, you're right. We should probably address that. And so they find these seven proven men from within the church. They don't go outside. They don't post it on a job board. They they don't advertise. They say, who's in the church themselves? And these are not on the job type or on the job type learning things that we want to, excuse me. These aren't learn on the job type roles. Qualifications should be met within the church and the congregation then affirms, yes, we agree that these men are qualified with what they had 
the community addressed the issue of disunity with a community solution. And the results were continued fruit. Look at verse 7 again. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And this has been the pattern of Acts, right? Where they devote themselves to the word of God in prayer, and the church grows, where personal maturity, as each of us are growing in our faith, as the church has modeled for us, it turns into a congregational multiplication where maturity is guaranteed growth for those who are devoted to and submitted to the word of God, the scriptures and prayer and numerical growth tends to be the ramification of that. But it's not yet, or it's not always guaranteed. And so as this church matures, as the nations are reached with the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for those who believe, the church grows individually, corporately, and multiplicationally. Made up a word. Friends, we're sinners. We inherit a sin nature as part of our nature of who we are, inherited from our parents. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Or Paul says in Romans 3.23, For the wages of sin is death. Sorry. For all fall that was a different verse I was going to say later. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. <laughs> this church was in sin, we see in the book of Acts. They were omitting and not fulfilling what God has clearly called them to do. And this is when I say in the wages of sin is death. And that's the church's message. It's the good news that God saves sinners because the consequences of sin is bad news. And for those who believe in the work of Jesus for them in his death, burial, and resurrection, free grace is available to no longer walk in sin, to no longer neglect what God calls us to in his word. And as the early church gave themselves to community priorities for maintaining unity, Fruit becomes evident, right, in verse 7. But don't miss, there's an important phrase, those last few words, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Many, not all, of the priests were Sadducees. The same people we saw last week, the Sadducees, who told the disciples to be quiet. The Sadducees, who told the disciples to stop preaching, and the apostles said, no, we can't do that because God's a greater authority. The disobedient apostles brought salvation to the ones calling the shots in the civil and religious establishment. The church remained faithful and the unfaithful became part of the church as they believed. That's like the state of Vermont telling us to be quiet as a church and a many number of people in the state house started to be obedient to the faith because we said, no, we're not going to be quiet. We need to proclaim the gospel message that God has called us to do. The church remained faithful. Where we began with some tension here in the text, right? In the end, there's great victory. And that victory, friends, belongs to the Lord. 
Satan couldn't thwart what was happening in this faithful church. And the whole church participated. And that's where we'll end. Some things that I think we can learn from this passage, some encouragement, not only for the church, all of us, but also for our leaders. First, members, those who are part of this church, come to your leaders. Even if it seems hard, the Lord may use you to help us lead with proper change. We are responsible. We are accountable to Jesus. We give an account to him for everything we do or say. And guess what? God may use you to protect us from a greater judgment if you come to us. And it also will bless you, right? These folks were being neglected, and now they were being served. He might use you to bless the entire congregation by speaking up. Hey, we need to follow the scriptures. Leaders, this one's for you. Humility for leaders is in our listening. We try, but let's keep trying. Church, if you see us not listening to you, especially if things are clear in the scripture, make a bigger deal about it. In a loving way, please. You don't need to go out front and pick it. Or you don't need to get loud and boisterous and divisive in a member meeting. We get to do that at um, town meeting day. We don't need to do it here. Humbly approach your leaders. Say, I don't think this is right. Can you help me see in the scriptures where we might need to not do this or do that? The, elder, the apostles, they didn't have a pre-planned solution. Okay, so if, if, if they come to us with this question, here's what we're going to say. They realize, like, no, we're, we collectively are in the wrong. And they delivered the information to the apostles and they trusted whatever would come in response. And that's where members, second, trust your leaders. We're not always going to be aware of everything. But neglect isn't always purposeful. Where this church in Acts, they trusted each other. They've proven for each other that they love to share things. They want to love one another. They want to care for each other in their community. They don't come to the apostles with false assumptions. I bet you that apostle who doesn't like the Hellenists, he told that group to ignore that those, those group of people. They come with trust. And when trust breaks down, we're going to have a larger, bigger problem. Leaders, I don't think we've done this yet, but down the road, we don't need to assume someone's out to get us. I think trust in a church should be extended and assumed in all of our communication. In the world around us, trust has been misearned, right? Everybody comes to town meeting day with their speech ready to, I know, I know you're out to get me or not to do the thing that I want to do. But we don't do that in the church. We extend trust. And at the same time, if you've come to us and we say, you know what, you might be right. 
But we just can't address that right now because we have bigger fish to fry. We'd ask you to trust us. No, don't give up on the change. But also trust us as we're leading the entire church that there's probably some other things that you might not know. Again, it doesn't mean that neglect is okay, but we're going to need to take time with some things to address them. So first, we have humility. Second, we have trust. Third, we need prayer. Pray for us. We are responsible to Jesus for your souls. That is a big, big burden. Some of our guys going through the elder process, man, I'm out now. We give an account for how we lead and shepherd you. And from time to time, when we get visitors, we welcome them in. But we also take membership very seriously around here because we know that those who are members with us, who have covenanted with us mutually, that we have an even greater responsibility for you. We won't disregard those who are not members, but we will be very intentional in how we engage with our members. And I think that leads to our fourth application. If you aren't a member, you should consider joining us. I think we'll have a members class after the first of the year. We'd love for you to consider that. But we consider who has the authority in the passage. Is it the apostles? Is it the deacons? Or is it the congregation? The apostles have been delegated authority by Jesus. You need to lead the church. The, the, the deacons have been delegated authority. I want you to go serve these widows. And the congregation has authority too. And that comes with great responsibility and accountability as well. In our context, members have all the authority. You delegate some authority to me and the other leaders in the church, but members, we covenant with each other. We work together. We have authority all together as a congregation. And often in congregational churches, because of that, because authority has been given to members, there's oftentimes more disunity than community because everybody wants to posture for what they want. And I think it's sad. But consider this church's example. We're humble members, humble leaders work together. And so church, let's try to do that to the best of our ability. And I do believe that a congregational model is the most biblical. It tends to protect everybody, not only protecting you, but it protects me and the other leaders because we are mutually accountable to one another and ultimately accountable to Jesus. And ultimately the authority belongs to God. And we saw that last week that Satan cannot overthrow the church because God is the one who has the highest authority. But Satan's gonna try. And next week we'll start our Advent series. Remember I talked about Wiley Coyote to begin our time. Let's just consider Satan maybe like Wiley Coyote, always trying to thwart and capture and seek and kill and destroy. And Satan tried right in, in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He won that battle. But he hasn't won the war. He won't win the war. God has already won the war. 
Advent is the season where we celebrate the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life, eventually to die a sinner's death, to rise triumphantly for the church, for those who would believe that, for you and for me. And so consider joining us even for our Advent series. Consider inviting some family and friends who might not be part of the church. Maybe God would give them the miracle of belief and cause them to join the church themselves. And so church, so as long as I'm here, I'm not planning to go anywhere, my prayer is that we will continue to gather together. We will continue to be unified around what matters most. We will continue to devote ourselves to loving God and loving others in the church and those outside of the church and trusting God as we become and maintain faithfulness that he will produce fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for just the example that this early church continues to give us of faithfulness, dedication to that which you've called us to, perseverance in the midst of challenges. God, thank you for the example of these leaders in Acts chapter 6 that give us as leaders an example to follow in humility and trust and prayer uh, and, and coming up with solutions that would benefit and bless the community as directed by your word. God, would you help us as leaders to continue to do that? And where we are lacking, God, would you help us to be open to correction? Would you help us to give us the grace to respond to correction? God, would you use this church to even initiate some of that correction for the sake of a greater joy in obedience to you, following what you've called us to in your word. And God, we trust you that uh, you will bring fruit, continued fruit in uh, our faithfulness, that we would grow and be conformed more to the image of your son. And as we are faithful to the things you call us to and proclaiming the gospel to each other and to a lost and dying world around us, that you would produce fruit and maturity in our own lives, but also uh, fruit in calling unbelievers to, to believe in your son as payment for their sin, as resurrection life that we can never attain otherwise. So God, we thank you and we praise you and we lift up our voice now again in song to worship you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.